We make decisions every day, but these days those decisions, big and small, can feel paralyzing. Welcome to Deciding Factors, a new podcast from GLG. I'm your host, Eric Jaffe. Each week, I'll talk to a world-class expert who has faced incredibly tough decisions and can offer unique insights to help you navigate the decisions you face. COVID-19 has hit us hard. While we grapple to address the public health challenge, it's clear that the economic impact is equally profound. And that impact starts with jobs. With unemployment numbers growing daily and approaching levels during the Great Depression, it's worth spending time digging into these numbers and what they might mean for the future. Today's guest, Betsy Stevenson, is well-positioned to shed light on the topic of employment. Betsy was a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors from 2013 to 2015, where she advised President Obama on unemployment and labor force trends. She also served as the Chief Economist of the U.S. Department of Labor from 2010 to 2011. Betsy is currently Professor of Economics and Public Policy at the Ford School at the University of Michigan. Betsy, welcome to Deciding Factors. Great to have you here. It's great to be talking with you. Obviously, wanted to talk about jobs today. The impact of COVID on jobs has been absolutely devastating. In the span of just one month, more than 20 million Americans have found themselves out of work. Our unemployment rate has spiked to 14.7% in April, the highest level since the Great Depression. Where do things stand right now with respect to employment in the U.S.? We don't have a great measure. What we do know is 20 to 40 million people have lost their jobs. But I want to distinguish between lost their jobs and had their jobs permanently destroyed. Because we don't think anywhere near that many people have had their jobs permanently destroyed. Can you tell me a little bit about the distinction between job loss and job destruction? Every day, lots of jobs are created and every day lots of jobs are destroyed. And that's the normal way we think about the labor market. But what's happened here is something different. In addition to jobs being created and jobs being destroyed, a bunch of jobs have been put on pause. So we don't really measure uh, the number of jobs being put on pause very well. But that's the fundamental question right now in terms of the state of the labor market. How many of the 20 or 30 million people who have been dropped from payrolls will actually be brought back to doing the exact same job? I've seen different estimates out there. Some as, as bleak as, as only 40% will be brought back. Some as optimistic as 90% will be brought back. But it's reasonable to say that uh, we will see a very large number of these jobs brought back. There are hairdressers at home right now, and there are people at home wishing they were getting their hair cut. Those hairdressers are gonna go back to work, people are gonna go back to getting their hair cut. So those jobs are not destroyed, they're put on pause. Now, it's also the case that our sort of normal process of job creation has enormously slowed. And so that's brand new jobs being formed as businesses expand or decide they need to bring on new and additional workers or new businesses get formed. It is not surprising that everything's kind of on hold right now. Some have suggested that the actual rate of job loss has started to slow. I believe there have been almost 3 million job losses just in the past week, but the aggregate number of unemployment claims has gone up by about 500,000. Is that the right way of understanding it, that actually job losses are slowing right now? Absolutely. Most of the job loss happened at one particular time. It was as if a referee blew the whistle and told everybody to get off the playing field. 
That's essentially what governors did when they told you you couldn't go to work if you weren't an essential employee. We're still continuing to see new people flowing into unemployment. And the concern is whether those people are more likely to be people who won't get asked to come back. We've certainly seen a slowdown in the number of people who've been asked to stay home. That is absolutely the case. It's not clear that we've seen a slowdown in the number of jobs that have ended forever. In fact, I think that's only just beginning. Betsy, let's talk a little bit about the actions that the government is taking right now. What are some of the key decisions being made by the executive branch right now uh, to keep people employed? And which parts of the government are making those decisions? If we think about what's affecting job loss right now, there are four factors. The obvious one is stay-at-home orders that mean that people are told that they shouldn't go into work or they shouldn't go to a restaurant. Uh, The second one is people's own personal decisions out of fear and concern that it's not a safe choice to consume some of the things that they consumed in the past, like going to a restaurant or going to a concert or a sporting event. Third is declines in income. The fact that our incomes have come down means that consumption essentially fell off a cliff very early on before some of the state shutdown orders even began. And when people have less money, they buy less stuff. And when they're spending less money, you need fewer workers. And then the fourth thing that will affect the labor market, although perhaps is only right now affecting it in a positive way, is that we're all getting experience with new technology. But that experience will serve as a catalyst to uh, push on the adoption of that technology even after the pandemic ends. So obviously when the government has a stay-at-home order, um, whether it's a state or a local or the federal level, there have been different guidances coming out of different levels telling us whether we can or can't go out. Um, That obviously has a direct effect. But there are other ways in which the government can affect whether we feel safe or don't feel safe. And, you know, that can come from the very top. You can have uh, the executive branch stand up and say everybody should wear a mask. They can affect our our fear in just a, a number of other ways. Things like making testing available, hiring contract uh, tracers. We've got actions, you know, coming out of Health and Human Services, out of the uh, CDC, basic public safety mechanisms that can be done that will also have the effect of increasing demand among consumers who might otherwise stay at home uh, to try to protect themselves. But the probably the biggest thing that you're thinking about is the ways in which the government has tried to support people's incomes and keep businesses afloat. We've seen the government pass direct payments to individuals and it's increased support for unemployment insurance, which has really bolstered incomes at the bottom, which has protected incomes while also discouraging work, at least for the time being. But it is worth noting that with the additional payments built into the CARES Act, the unemployment insurance system pays roughly the bottom half of the income distribution 
who are eligible for unemployment insurance more in unemployment insurance than they were getting in income. Now that expires at the end of July and there's a big debate going on right now about what more they need to do to support family incomes. And supporting family incomes, individual incomes, is going to be important for supporting jobs because when people don't have money, they don't spend money. And we saw declines in consumption of 30 to 40%. So really big, steep declines in what families were spending. We saw that consumption start to uh, rise again once those direct payments went into people's accounts. People save when they're scared that they might have future income declines. The more people save, that's great for them, but that is uh, it's bad overall for GDP because people aren't going out there and buying the stuff they would, would normally buy. Another dimension of things that the government's been doing is making loans available to as many businesses as possible. It hasn't gone quite as smoothly as they were hoping it would. The loans were supposed to be geared towards small businesses, but they found that it was easiest for uh, banks to give bigger loans. So the very small businesses seem to have gotten pushed aside and then the money ran out and then they allocated more money and it's continued to have some problems. But they've also facilitated lending through the Federal Reserve and all of that has been designed to infuse cash into the business community so that businesses survive this pandemic and make it to the other side so that people have jobs to go back to. You did mention consumer spending and two thirds of GDP historically has been consumer spending. And because people aren't spending, as you mentioned, stores don't sell and then they lay people off, we get into this vicious cycle. How can we get out of that when consumer spending has dropped so precipitously? The solution to the kind of situation we're in right now is massive amounts of government spending. And I understand that the political will for that is lower when we have a lot of debt. In a boom, we should be bringing debt down and we should be reducing our deficits instead of increasing them because we need to be increasing them right now. That spending is what's going to prop up incomes, which will help get us out of the vicious cycle that you noted. We've got another aspect to this vicious cycle that's looming right now, which is that states are seeing their revenue really um, plummet because if people aren't working, they're not getting income, they're not paying state income taxes, they're not paying state sales taxes, we've got conventions aren't happening, uh, hotels aren't happening, state and local government budget shortfalls are really going to be enormous, they're coming quickly. Many states are constrained to only spend the revenue they take in. And what that's going to mean is a new set of job loss, job loss that comes at the state and local government level. So we may or may not be ready from a virus perspective to go back to school in September, but there's also the threat that we won't be able to bring as many teachers back in September because we can't afford them. If you go back to the 2008 recession, you see that state and local governments did get some help from the federal government and that help was crucial, but it was still not enough to prevent widespread job loss. State and local government employment declined through 2014 and only just recovered to its pre-2008 recession peaks in the past year. 
we're going to see pretty painful cuts in a lot of state employment if we don't see more federal spending on that level. In recent days, Secretary of the Treasury Mnuchin and Senator McConnell have talked about kind of pausing before wanting to move forward on another stimulus bill. What's the rationale among Republicans right now for pausing and and not delivering a stimulus when so many Americans would seem to need it and benefit from it? We saw the most rapid response in terms of stimulus to this pandemic. I've never seen Congress get their act together so quickly to pass legislation to get money into the pockets of both businesses and uh, individuals. But I also have never seen bailout fatigue set in quite so quickly. We have another uh, solid year left in this battle, if not two. And it's certainly not the time for our politicians to get fatigued with fighting the recession. Americans who make least are being disproportionately impacted by job loss. 39% of former workers living in a household earning 40K or less lost work compared to only 13% of those making more than 100K. What can the government do to help those most in need? Some of what they can do, they're already doing, which is unemployment insurance covers um, roughly 100% of people's pay for people who uh, make roughly less than uh, $20 an hour. The other thing that they've done, uh, that now they need to do the hard work of getting employers to use, was to pass support for work sharing. Work sharing is a program that exists in the unemployment insurance system. It allows an employer to say, I'm going to lay off or I'm going to bring back a large share of my workers at half time, right? So I'm going to have 100% of my workers work 50% of time rather than having 50% of my workers laid off. And then that person uh, works half the hours, gets half the pay, but then they'd be eligible for half of their unemployment insurance check. And they'd also still be eligible for that $600 a week pandemic relief check. In the long run, we're going to have some workers who need to transition jobs. We can think about something like retail trade. We've obviously seen millions of people lose their job in retail trade since the pandemic started. And the question is, how many will go back? Technological change is buzzing along and impacting retail trade in a way that means we probably need fewer workers. Some people are going to say it's too risky to go into a store. So they need to interact with people in a store um, much less frequently. And you're going to have people with lower incomes. All of those three forces mean that there are just going to be few people walking into stores. There's not a lot that the government can do aside from supporting people's incomes and making people feel safe by putting in place the protocols that mean people feel that they can safely enter a retail store. Ultimately, We're going to have to start thinking about what kind of support for education and retraining is going to be necessary as workers start to shift in the types of jobs that they have. And I think this is something we should probably start thinking about sooner rather than later, because the best time to be in a training program or getting more education, figuring out a career move is when unemployment's high. That's when the opportunity cost is lowest. There's not a job to have, then you're not losing your income when you go to school. So I think it'd be useful for government to start to think about, should we do more in terms of Pell Grants? 
Should we do more in terms of funding training programs? How are we going to help people make transitions for jobs that are never coming back? Even before COVID, many Americans responded to a survey saying that they were not necessarily able to pay their bills beyond the next two or three months. How do you think the impact of this disruption will affect those families with respect to the broader U.S. support system like Medicaid and food stamps? I think it has exposed the holes in the American safety net. The first hole it exposed was the hole in our unemployment insurance safety net. Most of the time, we only have somewhere between 25 and 50% of the unemployed who qualify for unemployment insurance in the first place. And then most people are getting something that is less than half of their pay. As a result, we have you know just a very spotty unemployment insurance system. Congress realized right away that was gonna be a problem. And so they patched up the holes in the unemployment insurance system. They made a bunch of people who wouldn't normally be eligible, eligible, and then they added these pandemic relief payments to make people get a larger share of their income. We don't have a, a very robust safety net for people you know, who take a really large economic hit. I think it's yet to be seen whether there will be public pressure to expand the safety net through things like a better access to healthcare. And so, you know, what we want is for getting the test to be as simple as getting a pregnancy test, which just requires you go into the drugstore and buy it. In reality, in our healthcare system, it's unlikely that it's going to work that way. And we're going to have to grapple with that aspect immediately. And I think we're going to have to grapple with the number of people who are hospitalized or who have illnesses who've lost health insurance as a result of this widespread job loss, particularly the permanent job loss of the people who don't end up with jobs to go back to. Because it's quite likely that we see 10% unemployment over the next two years. I heard Lindsey Graham suggest that it's a moral hazard, essentially, to pay workers who are out of work because you incentivize them not to return to work. Is there any merit to thinking about incentives in that way? Of course, there's merit to thinking about that, but it, it is useful to actually think through it. So this is really unusual. We're paying people more in unemployment insurance than they were earning on the job. It is amazing to think that there's anybody who's happily getting up and going to work in a grocery store right now for $10 or $9 an hour when they'd clearly be financially better off to be laid off. But that's not actually their choice. They can't quit and get access to unemployment insurance. You have to lose your job through no fault of your own. If your boss says, I'm recalling you, you are no longer laid off, you can't say, thanks, but no thanks. I would like to sit back and collect unemployment insurance. If you're waking up every morning and I'm telling you, do the hard work of applying for jobs, and you're like, those jobs pay half what my unemployment insurance check pays, you can guess that people don't feel super motivated to do the hard work of applying for a job. In a normal economy, we think of this as a bad idea. We don't want people to have a 100% replacement rate. We want them to have a bit of an incentive to do the hard work to find a new job. This is different. Most of these people haven't permanently lost their job. There's not enough jobs for everybody to go back to right now anyhow. So I'm not worried at all about the moral hazard he describes. That doesn't mean it's not a real phenomenon. It just means it doesn't apply today. 
To maybe try to conclude on a potentially positive note, can deep recessions give rise to entrepreneurship? I think that problems can spark entrepreneurship and innovation. So when people face a problem, you have a couple of choices. You can panic. That's not very effective. Or you can try to solve it. American greatness comes from our ability to see a problem and find a really good solution. It's not that we will have innovation just now coming out of the widespread job loss, but I think we've seen really profound transformation of society and how we need to think about how we interact with each other, how we impact each other, and the ways in which we want to take care of each other and the ways in which we want to earn a living, I think these are producing lots of new ideas. And I expect that that spark is going to spread throughout the United States and the world in a way that means that we will have an incredible set of solutions to a widespread set of problems that emerges over the next year or two. Well, Betsy, really appreciate you taking the time to speak. I thought this was a fascinating conversation. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you today. Betsy shed light on the staggering unemployment numbers we're all seeing. She notes that it's important to understand the precise level of unemployment we're suffering from in order to appropriately calibrate the level of support we need from the federal and state government. And to better understand the level of unemployment we're seeing, Betsy helped clarify the important distinction between which jobs are on pause right now and will come back when it's safe versus which jobs are gone permanently. One way to refer to these two groups is with the terms job loss versus job destruction. For jobs that are destroyed, Betsy recommended the government should begin thinking now about what kind of education and training is necessary to pivot the workforce toward jobs of the future. We hope you'll join us next time for a brand new episode of Deciding Factors featuring another one of GLG's council members. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Or email us at decidingfactors at glgroup.com if you have feedback or ideas for future show topics. For Deciding Factors in GLG, I'm Eric Jaffe. Stay safe out there and thanks for listening.